But uh, we're glad you're here. Good to see you all. We're in a series called Overcome uh, because we all face the, the situation where we keep doing a thing that we don't want to do. We keep doing something that we just can't stop doing. We all have things that we need to overcome. And we often wait for a catalytic events in our life. A catalytic events like uh, Christmas and Easter and uh, an, uh, an old year passing and a new year coming. Uh, those, those catalytic events that help us to make the decision that, that brings about uh, the change in our life. And uh, for many of us, the, the things that are on the list for the new year are the same things that have been on the list for several new years and we just can't overcome it and so in this series in December uh, we're trying to get ahead of the curve on this deal in fact as a staff we refer to it as stacking the dominoes you know how you line up dominoes and then one goes and then boom 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 and so we're starting in December to stack the dominoes for what's going to happen for you uh, with uh, New Year's and a new year and in 2018. And we're hoping that you can overcome your addiction, your anger, your depression, your insecurity, and this year you can get a breakthrough that maybe hasn't come for you in, in years before. The Bible teaches that real life change doesn't happen from the outside in. It's not just a matter of changing your schedule, changing your diet, changing your budget, changing the structure of your relationships. Uh, no, it's about changing your heart and changing your mind and changing what's on the inside. And so in this series, we're trying to take a look deep down into uh, some of these areas where maybe we haven't taken a real hard, honest look at them before. And today we're going to look at uh, the heart issue of anger. And you may think, oh man, this is a piece of cake. I don't have any troubles with that. I can take notes, give them to somebody else. <laughs> but I want you to know today that I'm not just talking about the person that we all know is angry. Uh, you know, the, the person we live with or work with, the, the person that we hope will hear this message because it's obvious they're angry. Uh, and, and you know who they are. They're, they're the skunk people in your life. Uh, you know, when, an, when a skunk is angry, everybody knows it. Okay? And that's the way it is with the skunk people. I mean, when they're angry, everybody knows it. But anger is just as damaging to the turtle as it is to the skunk. It's just as damaging to the person who pulls back and pulls everything in and, and, and pushes that anger down. When it comes to your spiritual, emotional, mental, and relational health, holding anger in is just as damaging as dangerous as letting it out. 60% of the murders in America, 60%, almost two out of three murders, are not premeditated. It's not that somebody has malice in their heart and plans and prepares and goes somewhere and murders someone. Two-thirds of the murders happen with family and friends because somebody gets angry and winds up taking the life of somebody. It just anger escalates to the point that somebody loses their life. Now the Bible addresses the issue of anger and rage head on. Proverbs 29:22 says an angry man, angry woman stirs up dissension, and a hot-tempered one commits many sins. Circle the words many sins. That's why this anger issue must be dealt with because anger is it's not an isolated emotion, it's not even an isolated action. Anger affects it infiltrates and affects many areas of your life. Proverbs 14, 17, a quick-tempered man does foolish things. Anyone want to give a testimony? Okay. Yeah, about yourself. 
Okay, that, well, that changes it. Okay, James 1.20. Read this one out loud with me. Man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. And it doesn't bring about the righteous life that you desire either. Anger does not lead to the desired result. And I, I believe we want to live our life the right way. You know, resolutions are our attempt to bring our life in line with how we, we think we really ought to be living. And, but the Bible says that our anger keeps us from living that righteous life. The outwardly angry person and the inwardly angry person. Both are damaging, both are hurtful. Neither one leads to the desired result. Because there's a difference between dealing with your anger and just letting it out or dealing with your anger and just repressing it. So let's look at three ways we attempt to deal with our anger that don't work. We'll just get those out of the way. Often when we get angry about something, our goal is, write this down, our goal is to get my way. We have something in our life that we get fired up about and we go on this quest to get my way. And many times in our relationships, in the family, or in the workplace, we just kind of bully ourselves up. And we, you know, I'm bigger, better, badder than everybody else, and I'm going to get my way. Plays out on the highway. Driving along, somebody cuts you off. No, 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 this is my lane. And so for the next four miles, you're zigging and zagging, and you get around and cut back in front of them because this is my lane. This is, I'm going to do this my way. Second way we deal with anger is when I decide, well, you can have your way. And this is the pattern for those who, who do anything to avoid conflict. It's peace at any cost. Let's not argue about it. I'm just going to roll over and play dead. Have your way. And the problem with this is, is that you really haven't dealt with your anger. You've just stuffed it down inside you're holding it for later, and, and, and this really becomes, uh, you know, the turtle, or a better description, is the volcano approach. Because if you don't deal with it, it just builds and builds, and someday it erupts. And we've all seen that. We've all seen that quiet person in that marriage, or in that family, or in that workplace, the quiet person who just, you know, have it your way, have it your way, have it your way, and all of a sudden, one day, boom, and the destruction and the damage is the same as the person who's been venting their anger all the time. There's no difference in the destruction and the damage. It's just a matter of timing because they're not dealing with, uh, with their anger. It's just uh, the two extremes of the spectrum. I want my way. I'm going to let you have your way. And neither one of them work. And so what a lot of people try is they think, well, you know, if this doesn't work, let's try halfway. And I'll give a little bit, and you give a little bit, and we'll compromise. In fact, I'll meet you halfway. And the problem with halfway is, is now both of us are angry. Okay? Because if you want to go downtown, and I don't, how happy are we if we stop at 87th Street? <laughs> okay? You know, at that point, we're just both frustrated. We're just both angry. Maybe we're half as angry as we would have been, but not really, because we're just miserable. I mean, how satisfying is it over the long haul to never get what you want, to only get half of what you're striving for? It, it, it doesn't work. My way, your way, halfway. No, we have to renew our mind to a new way of thinking about our anger. And it's a new way of thinking that, frankly, most people, not even most Christians, ever get to. 
And it, this is some hard teaching today. I'll just tell you, this, is, this sermon is not for the faint of heart. And this is a message that's for people who are serious about their walk with God and serious about overcoming, specifically overcoming their anger. And frankly, I think you're ready for it. If I didn't think you were ready for it, I wouldn't waste my time presenting it. But I, I, I know you people, you're serious, that's why you're here. And I just want you to know I love you and God loves you and God is for you and I'm for you and I just hope that you'll have ears that are open, hearts and minds that are open today because I want to isolate and identify the cause of our anger. And then I want to give you some practical, biblical ways to deal with it. And so as we go through the message, don't, don't, don't push back today. Just open up and just say, you know, I just want to hear what this, what this is, this new way of thinking about my anger. I'm going to start by looking at two passages out of, out of the book of James. And James starts with a question about anger that has been our question about each of these issues each week, which is the question, what causes this? What causes addiction? And we said what causes addiction is idolatry. It, your addiction has become an idol that you've taken over the throne of your heart. And, and you've got to dethrone that idol in order to break the power of that addiction. Uh, what causes depression? We said, well, what causes depression is, are the thoughts that you fill up. Your, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And so uh, you've got to, to have a, renew your mind because wrong thinking is the cause of depression. And today, what causes anger? James asked a question. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? And every one of us knows the answer. James, you know, come on over to the house. I'll show you the cause. It's her. Okay? It's her. And she would say, you know, James, if you stick around long enough, you'll discover that the real cause of anger is him. Okay? The real cause of my anger is all those idiot drivers out there on the road. Okay? It, it's an amazing part of human nature that when we are faced with a difficulty, we often want to blame other people for the condition of our own heart. And uh, even, even if the accusations are true, okay? uh, you know, sometimes those drivers are idiots. Okay? But you can never blame your way to happiness. I mean, you, you keep trying it, but it, it never works. We keep blaming others for our anger. And James tries to redirect us here, and he does it so gently. He doesn't make an accusation. He just asks a question. He says, what, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? The source of your anger isn't the traffic. The source of your anger isn't the government. The source of your anger isn't your spouse. It's not other people who have offended you. Now please understand, neither James nor I are saying that bad things didn't happen to you. And we're not saying that other people have not disappointed or offended or even hurt you. We're not saying that. But we're saying that that is not the cause of your anger. That's not the cause of your frustration, your conflicts. I mean, yes, those things happened. I mean, we're all hurt and offended. But what really causes your anger is you have desires that war inside of you. And anger, it, it, anger doesn't come from your circumstances. 
Because you can have a, a bunch of people in the exact same circumstances and they don't all get angry and they sure don't all get angry to the same degree. So where's the anger coming from? It's not coming from the circumstances, it's coming from within. If you're like me, and I know I am, thank you. Sometimes that one doesn't work and I just wind up looking stupid, okay? But if you're like me, the common denominator of every fight I've ever been in is I was there, okay? The common denominator in every fight I've ever been in is me. And, and I was there for every single one of them. But we tend not to recognize that. We tend to want to go someplace else. Want to blame other people. But James goes on to, to actually identify the source of our anger. He says, you want something, but don't get it. All I want is some peace. I've worked hard to buy a home so I could have some peace. And now my neighbor's dog is barking all the time. He's disturbing my peace, and I'm mad about it. I deserve this lane. I've, I've got in this lane. Are you seeing a sense of my hang up here? Okay. I deserve this lane. I've been in this lane for uh, every day, all the way. This is my, you have no right to cut in front of me. I have a right to a happy marriage, and you've messed it up. The root cause of our anger is I want something, I can't have it. And what we do then is we demand of the person who's the violator to fix it. I want you have to change. Move over. Put that barking dog in your house. Change. We want our way. We can't have it. What do we do next? James says you kill and covet. Oh, come on, James. I've never killed anybody. I mean, you're just going too far here. But all of us have said things in our hearts. We've all rehearsed arguments in our mind. I mean, I rehearse the one-liners that are the killer statements that will drive a stake through the heart of the position of the opposition. We've all coveted, we've all wanted our circumstances to be different. And oftentimes I win the argument. And I get my way. But it only works on the surface. Because that's not the real problem. But you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. James says even if you win the argument and get your way, the, the problem is you think the solution is to change the people around you. You think the only way to achieve happiness, to, to lose anger and frustration, is to get the people around you to behave the way that you want them to behave. James redirects us to an inward solution, the real solution. You know, when that person said what they said, did what they did, when they said and did that thing that hurt you, that frustrated you, that made you angry, instead of going to them, you were supposed to go to God. You don't have what you want because you didn't ask God. <laughs> Are you kidding me, James? Are you telling me that at the moment of conflict and crisis, at the height of my frustration, I'm supposed to deflate the energy of the situation in which I am totally right? 
And I'm supposed to pull away from that and come to God and ask God if there's something that he wants to change in me. Is that what you're telling me to do? Yes. Exactly. And that's what a lot of us, including me, have a hard time doing. And so you'd much rather I bring a message today about how to make the people around you do what you want them to do and we could pray and call it Christian and go home. But that's not Christ's way. God's way is that any time anxiety, frustration, anger rise up inside of us, we're supposed to come to God and let Him do a work in us. Because here's the root cause of anger. When anger rears its ugly head in our lives, it's not about them. It's about me. And that's a tough pill to swallow. It would be a whole lot more fun for me to give you suggestions on how to resolve conflict and how to motivate people and how to affect change in the workplace and change in the family. But, you know, you stop and think about that. How, I think how ridiculous that is. In order to deal with your anger, you've got to get the whole world around you to behave the way you want them to behave. That's not going to happen. That can't be the solution. But God, in his wisdom, in his mercy, God says, I can do a work in you. I can do a work in you so that the world doesn't change. If the traffic doesn't get any better, if the neighbor's dog doesn't stop barking, if the people you're living with continue to irritate you, God says, I can do a work in you that will solve, solve that for you. See, we keep looking for God to change the circumstances, and God says, no, I want to change you. We want God to improve our circumstances, and God says, no, 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 I want to improve you. That's what I want to do. We think it's about them. It's about us. So, if we're going to overcome anger, it takes a very spiritually mature person to pray a very aggressive prayer. And I believe you're ready for it. And we find that prayer in Psalm 139. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. God, check out my heart, check out my mind. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. You want real life change. If you don't want to have the same resolutions year after year after year, it's time to say, I've had enough. God, come deal with me. Search me. Show me. Let's look at the solution to overcoming anger. We find it uh, in the teaching of Jesus. And, uh, and there's a situation where Jesus' disciples got angry. Uh, one in particular. And, and he got angry for the same reason that James says that we get angry. He wanted something and he couldn't get it. And he, he, actually, he actually gets angry at Jesus and he yells at Jesus and he rebukes Jesus. I mean, put those words in a sentence and think about that. He yells at Jesus and he rebukes Jesus. That, that's the kind of lunacy that anger leads us to. You know, Jesus started his ministry at the age of 30, and uh, at the age of uh, 33, he went to the cross. So he had three years of ministry. 
And this story happens at the end of Jesus' ministry. At the end of his ministry, there's a shift in the focus of what he's doing. And he's, very soon after this, Jesus is going to go to the cross and lay down his life for your sin and my sin. But there's a shift. You know, the disciples didn't know uh, that this was where this was going. They thought Jesus had come to earth and was gonna, he was going to do all these miracles so that he could set up an earthly kingdom, not, not a spiritual kingdom. They, they, they were looking for a Messiah. They were looking, the whole Jewish nation was looking for someone to come and lead a rebellion, lead a revolt against the Roman Empire, kick the Romans out, become the king of Israel, and reestablish their nation. They want, and, and so the disciples are looking at this miracle-working leader. He's the one who's going to take our country back. And as you read through the Gospels, you actually see the disciples jockeying for cabinet positions. You actually see these guys uh, arguing and discussing, well, who's going to be number two and number three and number four? Because they, they think this is going to be a, an earthly kingdom with an earthly king. And in Matthew 16, Jesus begins to explain to them what the real plan is. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer, circle that word, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And that he must be killed, circle that word, and on the third day be raised to life. And see, the disciples didn't even hear that last part. All they heard is, he's going to go to Jerusalem and suffer and be killed, and whoa, 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 we did not sign up for this. We didn't, we didn't sign up to go to Jerusalem and be arrested and suffer and die. No, we, we want a revolution. We want victory. We want power. Not suffering and death. And when they find out that they aren't going to get what they want, it makes them angry. Especially Peter. Peter took him, Jesus, aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord! This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. That's the sermon, that's last week's sermon in a sentence. Because we said last week, you're never going to change your life until you change the way you think. And you're never going to change the way you think until you renew your mind. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. I have got to learn to think like God, not Kelly. And you have got to learn to think like God, not you. How do we do it? Fasting. Fasting breaks the, our connection with the world. Fasting breaks the connection with the idol, with the addiction that we have in our life. It dethrones the idol and puts Christ back on the throne. Fasting. Prayer. Prayer connects us with the power and the purpose and the plan of God in our lives. So we fast to break the connection with the world. We pray to increase our connection with God. And then we read the word of God every day so that we renew our mind. So now we're thinking with the mind of God instead of the mind of men. Jesus says to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Deny himself, take up his cross. Why do we take up the cross? Because something within us has to die. It has to die. 
And Jesus describes here something that very few believers ever discover and even fewer live out. Theologians call it the crucified life. The crucified life. And it means that the solution to your problem is not fixing the problem itself. The solution to your problem is asking God to fix you. We ask God to change us, not our circumstances. You know, just think about this. How many, how many of your prayers, how many of the prayers of the believer around you are about changing me instead of changing the circumstances? Not many. But Jesus says that, that's the way to do this. You've got to deny yourself. And, and this is where the pushback comes. We think, well, if I'm going to deny myself, am I just turning myself into a punching bag for the world? You know, Jesus wants me to be some beat-up Christian that the world just walks over all the time. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that in order to find peace in a world that makes you mad, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross. And something inside of you has to actually die. Your addictions, those false idols. James calls them those desires that war within you. They have to die because then and only then can you truly follow Jesus and find the peace that you're looking for. And I'm, it's evident here that Peter and I'm sure the rest of the disciples thought, well, then I'm not sure I want to follow you anymore. And maybe you're thinking, you know, well, if that's what it takes to follow Jesus, I'm not sure I want to follow him anymore. And Jesus knew that this would be hard for us to hear. So he said, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Jesus says, wait, 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 you think that, that if you don't do this and you hang on to your life, you think that's going to work? i got news for you. You try and do that, you're going to lose it. It's not going to work. My way, your way, halfway. It's not going to get you there. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. Jesus says, you follow my plan, you're going to find a life you never knew you could have. The person who wants to overcome their addiction, their depression, their anger, their insecurity, the person who wants to have a different list of resolutions, the person who wants to have the real, eternal, abundant life that Jesus Christ offers, that's the person who learns how to lose their life. It's a paradox, and it's counterintuitive. It's a contradiction. It just doesn't seem right, but it's right. And that's why so many people never even heard of this before. That's why people who hear of it reject it. But the people who buy into it find the life that Jesus Christ has to offer them. Jesus says, if you'll buy into this, if you'll buy into the fact that the solution to the circumstances around you is not to change the circumstances, but to let Jesus Christ change you, you'll get the life Christ has for you. And you'll be the happiest person you know. Now, the concept of the crucified life, it's found throughout the, the, the Bible. It's found throughout the New Testament. But honestly, it's preached on very little, even by me. And I'll just admit that to you today and apologize for it. But here we are, so let's dig in. Okay? We're going to lose our life so we can find it. Uh, in the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul addresses the crucified life. And he says that there are three things that need to die. Because the root cause, the root cause of, of, of all these problems in my life is that something inside of me is too alive to the point that it's controlling my life. 
my addiction, my depression, my anger, my insecurity, that's the root cause. And the solution is, is that something in my life, those false idols, those desires that war within me, it has to die every day. That's the struggle. This has to happen every day. So what do we crucify? Number one, we've got to crucify self. One of the things that has to die is me. And most of us who are Christ followers, we've had this experience once. We came to a point where we figured out that, that we were managing our own life and we were doing a bad job of it and things were going downhill fast. And we realized that the only way out of our dilemma was we needed to give our life to Jesus Christ. And so there came a moment for most of us when we recognized that and we gave our heart and life to Jesus Christ and our sins were forgiven and our lives were redeemed from the pit. We were crowned with God's love and compassion. Uh, we, we found that new, abundant, eternal life that Jesus Christ offers to those who trust in Him. Probably the happiest day of your life it was for me. You know, I made that decision my freshman year of college, 18 years old, uh, Tuesday uh, of finals week, in the art history final. I had an art, uh, art history instructor who was a Christian, been sharing the gospel with me all semester, and in the final it all came together, and I said, my life is a mess, I've got to give it to Jesus. And I got saved. And I finished out finals week and went home, and Friday night, I'm at home, I went back to the little house my folks had in the country, and I'm upstairs in this old farmhouse, and I'm laying in bed, and all of a sudden, I just realized the new life I'd found in Jesus Christ, and I was overcome with joy, and as an 18-year-old kid, I started jumping on the bed. <laughs> and it was an old bed with slats and springs and a mattress on it, and I'm jumping, and the slats are falling out, and I mean, I, my mom yells up the stairs, stop that! And I didn't. Because <laughs> I was just full of the joy of the Lord. But here's the problem, and it's the problem for all of us. The problem is, is that we don't continue to walk in that new life. We don't continue to walk in that new life that Jesus gave us. Instead, we go about reclaiming the old life that we, that we gave to Him. And we start hanging on to, to portions of that old life our addictions. And we find ourselves with the gift of eternal life bound to heaven living a miserable life here and now. Why? Because we have sought to reclaim our old dead way of life. And the solution is not for God to change my circumstances. The solution is for me to crucify myself. Here's how Paul said it. He said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Something inside of me has to die every day. And it's not because I'm not saved. It's not because you're not saved and going to heaven. It's because the way that I live, the new life that I have been given, is every day I surrender my life, all of my life, to Jesus Christ. Paul says, I die every day. And that's the trade secret of the Christian life right there in plain sight in the Bible. I mean, the, that's how you unlock the power of the Christian life to overcome your addictions, your depression, your anger, and your insecurity. But most Christians don't do it. But Paul says, I die every day. You know why we have to crucify ourselves? 
Because dead people don't get angry. You ever notice that? Dead people don't struggle with addictions. Dead people aren't depressed. Dead people aren't insecure. It changes everything. When you die to self, when you crucify the self every day, you move, you know, now it's not about me, now it's about Jesus. Number two, I've got to crucify my flesh. And flesh is a little different than self. I mean, Paul addresses both of them. Flesh is actually a technical biblical term for that part of your human nature that still craves bad things even after you're saved. And we all struggle with it. And usually it's just a few things. I mean, seriously, for, for, all, for most of us, it's just one or two things that corrupt us. And we know what our one or two things are. There are addictions. And so we need to intentionally disconnect from those one or two things through fasting. And we need to intentionally connect with God through prayer about those things. And through prayer and fasting, we kick those false idols off the throne, we crucify ourselves, we crucify our flesh, we make Jesus Christ the Lord of our heart and life. We're not horrible people. Most of us recognize we just got one or two things that we struggle with. And so when we pray, we need to address those areas. God, this is what I get tempted with, so I'm crucified. I'm not going there anymore. This is what makes me mad. God, I'm not going to think about that. I'm not going to go there anymore. I'm crucifying that. I get depressed when I think these thoughts. God, I'm giving them up. I am crucifying those things in my life. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Uh, Colossians, it's in Colossians. It says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. It's in Romans. It says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. We're no longer addicts because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. You learn to die to yourself every day. Crucify me, crucify self, crucify the flesh. And you will overcome your addiction, your depression, your anger, your insecurity. Third thing the Bible teaches us is we need to crucify the world. Because as, as believers, we can be more connected to the world than we're aware of or, or that we would like to admit. And, and we get sucked into the world's way of living. When you start reading the Bible every day, you're going to run across lists. And these lists are all through the Bible. They're Old Testament, New Testament, Gospels. They're all over the place. You're going to read these lists. And one list is the way you live in the world. And the other list is the way you live when you're in Christ. World's way, God's way. And you read the, the list. And the world's list includes jealousy, fits of rage, and anger. And you read God's list. And it includes love, joy, peace, and patience. So our life is either going to be characterized by jealousy, fits of rage, and anger, or it's going to be characterized by love, joy, peace, and patience. And Jesus says, by your fruit, you will know them. So if your life is characterized by jealousy, fits of rage, and anger, there are parts of your life that you need to crucify. You need to crucify yourself, your flesh, and the world. Paul says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. 
Because you're never going to have peace in your heart and soul if you think the world needs to be adored for one second. It's never going to happen. It's like, God, I want everything you have for me, except I want to hang on to this one thing over here. God, I, I give everything to you, and I receive the new life that you give me, but there's this one thing that I just have to do. There's this one show I have to watch. There's this one thing. And I don't have to tell you what it is. You know, you know what it is. It's your addiction. And if you don't know what the one or two things are, ask God. He'll search your heart and show them to you. And if we have spiritual maturity, if we have the guts to go there and we are willing to crucify those things, next year could be the happiest year of your life. It could be the happiest year of your life. You could truly overcome. 2 Corinthians says, Therefore come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Last point. You want to overcome? You want to overcome anger? To find life, lose it. To find life, lose it. Let's pray together. God, I pray for every person who's here today. God, I pray for every person who's listening online. Because we all want life change. We all want to overcome. And so, God, today we give you permission to search us. Search our hearts, search our mind, find that thing that we are holding on to. And God, today, we, we want to lay it down. We want to crucify self, crucify the flesh, crucify the world. And you may be here today and you're not a Christ follower. Maybe, maybe you have never made this decision in your life. This is your moment. This is your moment to do that. And maybe you're a believer who, who has already done this, but for years now you've been hanging on. You've been reclaiming an area of your life and holding on to it rather than surrendering it to Jesus Christ every day. And I invite, I invite all of us to pray, whether it's for the first time or you're surrendering to Christ again. Just say, God, forgive me for trying to hold on to the control. God, I want you to take control of my life. I repent, I surrender my life, I crucify it so that I can die to myself and you can give me a new life. God, I want you to take the throne of my heart, be my Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.